going to go through the second part of our Clarifying the Gray Areas series, uh, not series, but Clarifying the Gray Areas, and I wanted to take a quick moment to review. So the first thing that we discussed is clarification on adultery. If you look down in verses 27 through 30 in Matthew chapter number 5, Matthew chapter number 5, for those of you who haven't been here in a while, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. And it is the, the, the longest sermon that Jesus ever preached while He was on the earth. And He really broke down for the Pharisees and man, just mankind in general, a lot of questions. He, he answered a lot of things in the Sermon on the Mount that are really important for us to know. So He had clarification on adultery. If you look there in verses number 27, it says, You have heard um, that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her have committed adultery already with her in his heart. So we talked about how adultery to Jesus isn't just actually committing the sin of sex outside of marriage, but it's actually even thinking about that and dwelling on that with the intent in your mind to get pleasure off of it. That is adultery to Jesus Christ as well. Um, the next thing that we talked about is clarification on divorce. And we talked about how, you know, what does the Bible say about divorce? I went through a couple different passages. Um, in Matthew, I referenced uh, Matthew chapter 19, I believe it is. I referenced that Jesus Christ says it's never okay for divorce. There's only one reason a, a letter of divorcement should ever be given. That means that you should legally be divorced from your wife. There's only one reason, or legally divorced from your husband. There's only one reason, and that reason is fornication. So sex outside of marriage with someone else. Um, that would be considered okay to Jesus. Now, obviously, that's not God's plan, right? But that would be okay to, to God. He'd be okay with a, a writing of divorcement in that case. But for anything else, uh, you, you just don't seem to get along. Well, that's not a good reason for divorce. That's a reason to, to depend on the grace of God, grow close to God, and grow close together. Um, so there's no reason for divorce except for that one extreme area which Jesus Christ lists. And I was almost to my next point when I realized I ran out of time, which we're going to discuss tonight. But before we get there, let me define again that there are no gray areas with Jesus, right? We talked about that last time, that with Jesus Christ, there are no gray areas and uh, we try to find the gray area sometimes, right? When we want to justify our sin, but Jesus clarifies a bunch of stuff in this passage. And I talked about old wives' tales, and I probably gave you a chance to, to think about the things that your parents lied to you about. Like my dad told me, if you eat a watermelon seed, a watermelon grows in your stomach. Uh, black cats are evil, right? Uh, so what are some things that your parents told you that you found out later in life are just not even true, or even your teachers told you? Ethan? Caffeine stunts your growth. I wonder if that's true. It's not true? Hmm. I researched it. It's scientifically proven. Wow. Anybody else? Is Missy the only person who lied to her children other than me? Our moms are liars, bro. What did you say? I said I love you. To who? No, no. Like you said, you said the lies that your parents tell you. Oh! And you believed it. Oh, man. Anybody else? Jenna? That I would get sick if I went out without a coat. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. If you eat so much that you would turn into some, like if you ate so much of it that you would turn into some. <laughs> See, as a kid, when you're so moldable, like you believe that, right? Like, oh, I want to turn into meatloaf. Yeah. If you went outside with your hair wet or no shoes on, you would get pneumonia. Oh. 
grandma. So in the South, they think that babies, uh, a cat can also, <laughs> like grandma, I forgot to mention, the South was weird. So my, anytime my dad would turn me upside down, my grandma would say, don't do that, you're going to turn his liver upside down. And she was serious, like, it's not how organs work, grandma. Uh, and also, she would say, don't, get, don't let cats around the babies, don't, don't take the breath out of them. So they, in the South, they thought that, that cats would go to the crib and like, like a Dementor from Harry Potter or something, just like, take the breath out of your kid. For those of you who watch Harry Potter, you know that's a perfect reference. Anyway, Jenna. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily something that they let me believe, but my mom told me it was stuff like, oh, you'll get caught in the rain if you don't come inside. And I genuinely thought that I would get caught, like stuff like glue. No. <laughs> you misunderstood something. There was a country song called Shameless. And it was like, I'm shameless. And I thought he was saying, I'm shaving. I was like, <laughs> I believe that until like two years ago. Yes. Santa Claus. Oh. No. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Santa Claus lied to you? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what Jace is talking about. Yes. That's true. That's true. He's a thief. Yeah. All right. Tim Allen's the best Santa, by the way. So let's move on. Um, it was as if Jesus, he knew that there were a bunch of gray areas in people's lives. There were things that people were believing just off of cultural relevance in the time. He believed that there was people that were just believing things that had been passed on from generation to generation. If I told Jenna something and I told her to whisper it to Rocky, by the time we went through everybody, I think I've done this before, by the time we got to Austin, it would be completely different, right? So there were these old wives' tales that just weren't true that Jesus was clearing up. And Jesus also, as we're about to discuss, clarified some things in his own law that he gave in Leviticus. So it was as if people were wearing glasses that had smudges on them, and Jesus just wanted to come by and take those smudges off so that they could see clearly and operate correctly in his word. So Jesus gives us clarity all through the Bible. The next point that we have, so let's notice tonight three clarifications on the law that Jesus made. There's three more that we need to cover. We covered two last Wednesday. First of all, clarification on swearing. Clarification on swearing. Look down at verses 33 through 37. Verse 33 says, Again, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst make one hair white or black." But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. That sounds like a name, right? Uh, for whosoever is more of these commit, cometh of evil. Um, when it says swearing in this passage, it is not talking about cursing, right? Like using cuss words. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about uh, when people are trying to make you a promise and that person won't, uh, that person thinks that you won't believe them. So they say something like, I swear to, and then they might say God. Or they might say, I swear on my mother's grave. Or they might say, I swear on, and they say something really important. Well, the Pharisees were using that as a reason for people to believe them. Um, so swearing in the, in the Old Testament was a serious thing. In the New Testament was a serious thing to where if you wanted someone to believe, okay? If you wanted someone to believe you, wow, okay, we'll keep moving on. If you wanted someone to believe you, um, especially if you're a Pharisee and your life was a lie, right? So think about this. 
the Pharisees were just liars, right? They would lie and they would try to convince you that they were the most spiritual people around. So when they tried to convince a normal person uh, maybe how spiritual they are or maybe of something that wasn't true, they would swear. So they would swear by heaven or swear by God's throne to try to get people convinced that they were actually telling the truth. But first of all, oaths, oaths compensated for a weak character. Um, it says by your conversation later in this passage that you should convince people. The Pharisees used all kinds of tricks and sidesteps to the truth like oaths. Uh, they would avoid using the holy name of God, though. You'll notice in this passage they did not swear by the holy name of God. They would come close to it by using the city of Jerusalem, heaven, earth, or some part of the body. They used these as crutches to get people to believe them. And let me just say this as a side note. You shouldn't need to say I promise I'm telling the truth about something, right? Unless you're saying something like, listen, I just saw Endgame and this happened. I swear this happened. No, you don't need to use swears. Uh, your friends should know that you're telling the truth to them unless you're really sarcastic, right? Then you might have to say, okay, I'm really telling the truth. But never say, just as a note of practicality from this passage, never say I swear to and then say God. Um, it's forbidden in Scripture. This is the kind of swearing that it's, for, it's forbidding of, uh, us of. Um, this is serious to God. Don't, don't swear to God. Uh, don't swear to other things. Like, I swear on my mother's grave. God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to live such a true life, such a righteous life, that when you tell someone something that's serious, they will believe you. So O's compensated for a weak character, and our character should be so good we don't need crutches. Let your lifestyle prove that you are telling the truth. Uh, so second of all, we kind of move past the swearing part. I just wanted to clarify, and, and Jesus wanted to, I had to do a second clarification because many people read that and they think it's talking about like cussing. It's not talking about cussing, it, which you shouldn't do that, but it, it's talking about swearing, giving oaths in the Bible. Uh, secondly tonight, he gives a clarification on retaliation. What is retaliation? Right, I punch Jason in the face. What does he do back? He retaliates, so he punches me in the face. All right, look down at verse number 38. Yeah, I've heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. By the way, is that in the Bible? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Is that in the Bible? Is it? Yes. It is in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus. Um, Jesus replaces this law in the New Testament, however, we'll notice, he replaces this law... Uh, let me see. He replaces this law with an attitude that we should have. Verse number 38. You have heard that it has been said of, an old, of old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. That means that you don't go back up against that person that is evil. That you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Verse number 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy coat. Some of you are just getting that now. And verse number 41. And whosoever shall compel thee to go... A mile, go with him twain, which means to give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. This law is found in the book of Leviticus. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that other thing. <laughs> this podcast probably won't get posted. Uh, but, uh, uh, it, it, the original law in Leviticus was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, all of those things that you hear commonly. That is in the Bible. However, Jesus clarifies later that he replaced that law with an attitude that we should have. And this attitude and the intent of the original law was actually a good intention. It was dis to dissuade people from taking advantage of each other. Um, so if one person stole a piece of land, 
um, then Jesus wanted it to be known, then that person has the right to also steal back the land or to steal more land. And the point of retaliation is not just that you're getting back, but you're getting back and taking more than your offender actually did to you. So you're actually getting back in a way that is worse than what they did to you in the first place. And Jesus never condones that in the New Testament. Jesus replaced this law with an attitude, and he says pretty much the attitude is be willing to suffer loss yourself rather than cause another person to suffer. Let me tell you this. If someone hurts you in some way, uh, emotionally, physically, I can guarantee you this, that person is hurting some way, right? They're going through something. And this you'll learn in life, just as you get older, that people that you perceive as just mean people, and you just don't understand their backstory, right? Maybe you don't know what's going on at that guy's house. You don't know what's going on, and Jesus wants to be... Uh, Jesus wants us to be aware of those things. Uh, Psychologists tell us that violence is born of weakness, not strength. So whenever we're violent and whenever we go out and we're mean to other people, that's not strength, that's weakness. And it's a strong man who can love and suffer hurt, but it's a weak man who thinks only of himself and hurts others to protect himself. He hurts others then runs away to protect himself. The idea here is to stand your ground when someone hits you and basically to say, hey, I'm here and I want to resolve this issue. So Jesus isn't saying just keep offering up body parts for them to hit, right? He is kind of saying that. He's saying stand your ground and he's saying don't don't go back. Don't hit them. Don't revile. Does this remind you of someone in the New Testament who was hit, who was spit on, who was cursed at, who was punched in the face, yet did not do anything back. Who is it? Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus set the example of this when he says, hey, don't retaliate. Instead, show love to that person. We'll discuss that in a moment. Uh, Do you ever feel, let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten back at someone that did something to you? Raise your hand. You've gotten back at someone that did something to you. Put your hands down, but don't answer this out loud. Did it actually make you feel any better? Probably not, unless it was like a brother or sister. Then that kind of counts, right? That kind of counts. But in the long run, if you had a serious conflict with someone and they did something serious to you, it's talking about serious stuff here, and really it's, it's relating with people that are not saved. Uh, so you have a conflict at school. Maybe you're a Christian, that person's not, and they say something horrific to you, so you get, uh, your, you get drama stirred up about them and it gets worse to them. That's not going to make you feel any better. Um, if someone punches you in the face and you punch them back in the face, there's two punched faces and two hurt feelings, right? Uh, It doesn't help anyone. Um, And that's not to say don't defend yourself. Um, That's to say, hey, stand your ground, go like this or whatever, Uh, defend yourself as best as possible. If you're like in a life or death situation, I'm sure you could punch back. But uh, in this passage, it's saying, hey, stand your ground, don't retaliate, but show love for love. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The person who retaliates only makes himself and the offender feel worse And the result is never peace, right? If retaliation just continues, it's a vicious cycle. So if someone, if if Jace and I were to keep punching each other in the face, we'd eventually die, right? Probably Jace first or me first. Probably. I don't know. Let's test it. I'm just kidding. Jace wouldn't punch me back. So in this passage, retaliation is not a good thing because it's a vicious cycle that only produces hurt. It doesn't produce healing. It never produces peace. It only produces war. And lastly tonight, and we'll discuss kind of the second point with the third point, Clarification on loving your enemies. Clarification on loving your enemies. And this is kind of the whole point of the whole passage here. Look down at verses number 43 through 48. 
Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Uh, in the previous passage, when it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that was in the Bible. This one is never found in the Bible. You have heard that it's been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father, and this is the reason. Why, why do we do this? Why do we love our enemies? That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do, you not, even, do not even the publicans and sinners the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what, more do you, uh, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This is a countercultural idea, to love your enemies. People that don't like you. People that hate you. People that say mean things unto you. It's biblically commanded for us to actually show love to them. Have you ever had a fight with someone? Maybe this goes back to the retaliation thing. You ever have a fight uh, with someone, but then you apologize, and then maybe that person starts crying, and they're sorry for what they did to you? It kind of breaks the walls down. Apologies kind of break the walls down of hatred. And that's what it's talking about in this passage, is saying, love your enemies. So why love our enemies? We hate the sin, by the way, but we don't hate the sinner. So we see that all throughout Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus hated the sin in people's lives, but he never once lashed out at actual people. He lashed out at their sin. So we don't need to get in our mind that we don't like a person and we hate a person. That's never what we do. If we don't like aspects of someone, it's probably their sin that we don't like, right? So we hate the sin, but we love that person. And if there's someone that you can't find in yourself to love, there's probably a spiritual problem with you because we are supposed to love even our enemies. So why love our enemies? Jesus gives us three reasons. First of all, this love is a mark of maturity. It's proving that we are sons and not just little children, according to verse 45. It's a mature thing to love people that hate us. If you only like people that like you, Jesus says you're immature. Jesus says you have some Christian growth to go through because even publicans and sinners can like people. There's nothing special in liking people that like you. There's nothing inherently Christian about it, but there is something Christian about loving a person who hates you, about loving a person who has done wrong to you. So do you find it hard to do that? You need to get spiritually right with God. If you can't find it in yourself to love someone that even does the worst things unto you, there's probably a problem there and there needs to be some maturity. Second of all, it's God-like. God shares good things with those that oppose Him and are even His enemies. Jesus died for His enemies. He showed the greatest love to mankind who hated Him, who spat in His face. Think about the Roman soldiers that beat Him that made fun of his claims to be the Son of God, that wrote King of the Jews uh, on the top of the cross, who did all of those things, that spit on him, that, that did all these crazy things. And Jesus knew at the very moment he was dying that he's dying for the people that hate him. That is love. That is the kind of godlike love that we need to possess. And thirdly, it's a testimony to others. Look down at verse number 46. It says, For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? basically saying if you only love the people that love you, you're only going to be around the people that, that like you. You're only going to be able to witness to the people that like you. There's no reward in that. And then he goes on to say, do not even the publicans the same. 
So publicans were people that were not Christians. These were people that, that were not good people. He's saying other people can do that, but it's a good testimony to love those who are unlovable. The father loves his enemies and seeks to make his children, seeks to make them his children, and we should assist him in that goal. Um, I had a friend in college, and I'll close with this. I had a friend in college, and he's still one of my best friends, probably my best friend um, to this day. His name is Luke Self. Uh, my wife doesn't even know this about Luke. Luke actually preached teen revival for us last year. You guys remember that? Shorter guy, spiky hair, blonde guy. He was cool. You guys remember that guy? A little bit? Kind of? All right. So he was here last year. We were in the same dorm my freshman year. Gibbs Hall. It was the only dorm that used to be a ladies' dorm. It was like a single lady. I think they've transitioned it back to a single ladies' dorm. So we had this like kitchen with like this huge mirror and all these outlets. And I finally asked a few months later, and they were like, "Oh, that's where the ladies used to do their hair." I was like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." So I would do my hair there. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, Luke and I actually met inside that dorm, and Luke and I did not like each other at the beginning. And for some reason, Luke thought I was a punk. Like for some reason. I don't know why, but Luke thought I was a punk and that I wasn't a good guy. It wasn't until a couple of months, and Luke was like telling other people he didn't like me. It was kind of like a cliquish thing in our dorm. He was like telling other people he didn't like me. But one night, and we had like hardly spoken a word to each other. Do you ever just have that about someone where you just, for some reason it's a fleshly thing, where you just don't like that person? Like there's just something about that person that you don't like. Just be honest with me. By the way, a lot of you are like that with your teachers, and it's hard for you to understand now what your teachers go through, um, but you need to have some mercy on your teachers because your teacher's making probably twenty-five dollars to $30,000 for you to be snot-nosed to them, right? They're not making much money. They're in it for you guys. Trust me, they're in it for you. Um, so be nice to your teachers. Try to make friends with your teachers. That's one of the most fun things, right? Making friends with your teachers. So uh, Luke and I, just for some reason, we didn't click. I didn't know what was up until a couple months into college. Uh, Drew Shetler, who is Dr. Shetler's son, he was our dorm supervisor. He had a prayer group together. And he, I think he knew, Luke was in his room, so I think he knew that Luke and I didn't get along. So he paired us up to pray together. And ever since we prayed together and got to know each other a little bit, we've been like best friends ever since. He was the best man in my wedding. Like, I, I try to talk to Luke as much as possible, but it, you guys will never know what it's like to, to reach out to someone and to actually become friends and to love your enemies until you actually try. So what I, the whole point of the illustration is to actually make the first move. Uh, get to know the people that for some reason you can't find yourself liking. Maybe they're going through some stuff. Maybe if that girl is standoffish and she's kind of mean and she's kind of, she's kind of abrasive to other people, well, maybe her parents scream at her when she gets home. Maybe she's, she's abused physically and mentally by her parents. Or, or guys, maybe you see that guy and you think he's just a punk. Um, he's just a guy. He's too cool for me to get to know. He's too cool. Those are some of the most insecure guys that you have ever met in your life. Let me just tell you that. You have no idea. Uh, the people that you think are your enemies could be your best friend's for life. And Jesus says, even those people that are sinners, he says, you think them enemies, but that person is my son. Jesus is saying, I want to make those people the children of God. I want those people to get saved. So reach out to the people that you find unlovable, because at the end of the day, they're probably the people that need your love the most. Let's bow your heads and close.